Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Uh, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And I almost never advertised this on Facebook, but I advertised the show on Facebook today and then had all kinds of trouble logging in. So we've already used up some of the time to get logged in, but uh, and we got a lot to talk about. So we're going to try to make it happen anyway. And what I said I was going to talk about is a strong delusion. And this morning we were talking a little bit about home churches and and the 40,000 different denominations. And, and of course, Christ said, many would come in my name, but they were going to actually be workers of iniquity, and that he did not know them, because they really didn't know him. Now, they thought they knew him. They thought they were doing great things in his name, but they were actually workers of iniquity. That seems like, uh, that's pretty amazing. They weren't just not good Christians. They were actually doing the opposite. How could that be? That wouldn't refer to any of us. We're all doing what's right. Our churches are all right on the ball, right? They all know what it says. Well, just before we started this show, I saw, I heard uh, a show that was on another station, on another program anyway, and uh, they were talking about... uh, you know, the tabernacle and the feasts and the Sabbath and all these things. And, of course, we've gone over all this stuff before. That a great deal of our misunderstanding of modern uh, of what Christianity should be in this modern time is because we do not understand what the Israelites were doing back in the days of Moses. We don't understand when they went wrong in the days of Samuel, you know, in Samuel 8, where they decided to have a king. For, you know, for hundreds of years, they had no king. And they got into trouble now and then, but they had no king. But it said now that they wanted to have a king, that he would end up taking and taking and taking. And when they cried out, he God would not hear them because they had gone this wrong way. And and the kings ended up oppressing them. My father whipped you with whips. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. And uh, they fell into corruption. They were they were conquered. God was not there. They divided themselves, uh, you know, between the north and the south, southern kingdom, or between uh, the Israelites and uh, uh, and Judah. Supposedly, they separated out those that followed Rehoboam and those that said, what is David to us? Which we briefly mentioned in this morning's two-hour show. What is David to us? And they they did not go back to their cities. They went back to their tents. And, you know, if you when you start noticing these things and looking at the pattern in the language at the time, and then if you go back to the original Hebrew and you see how they're... Different prophets are adding all kinds of different letters to standard words, and they're trying to express ideas because every letter has a meaning, and they're adding meaning to words so that you will follow, or at least maybe see the pattern. But ultimately, the problem is is that we don't see the pattern because of what Stephen said way back in Acts 7. 
you know, and Stephen talks about our fathers had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with uh, Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God Drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. And uh, it goes on, who found favor before God and des- uh, desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house, a building, a structure. And in and, and talking this morning, the home churchers are trying to get away from the institutional church. And they don't think you need a building. And they're right. You don't need a building. And they look at some of the history and some of the biblical texts and they say, well, they gathered in little home churches, little isolated groups. They didn't build big buildings at first. It wasn't until Constantine that you started seeing them building big buildings. And actually, a lot of the buildings that they had at the beginning of Constantine's brand of Christianity were the buildings that had been pagan temples before. But what is the the distinctive difference between what Constantine was doing and what Christ was doing? Where did we really get off the path? Is there a problem with buildings? Well, not necessarily. The Israelite can make buildings and Solomon can make buildings. But there was something intrinsically different in the way that we began to do things. We talk about worshiping God. And and we have a whole article at Preparing You where you can look up worshiping. And worshiping actually has to do with serving God, bowing down to his will. It isn't about God being so insecure that he needs our praises. He needs us to say great things about him, like you're really great, God. I really love you, God. I care about you, God, because God needs, you know, reaffirming his ego. No, God doesn't need that. What worshiping is, is doing the will of the Father. And this is why Christ says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, say all these great things, you know, or sing songs or whatever, but he who does the will of the Father. So what was the will of the Father in the Old Testament? What was the will of the Father in the New Testament? Did the will of the Father change? Not really. Now, what we see in the New Testament where they talk about certain sacrifices that, uh, no, just the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, see, it's not the baptism really of water, but it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, I mean, John the Baptist even put down baptism of water. And we touched upon that this morning, is that the baptism of water that John the Baptist was performing, I mean, it was water, and you washed the person in the water, and uh, and they were baptized. But they had the baptism of John, because you could go to the temple, and at the laver, they would baptize you there as well. And it wasn't the baptism at the laver at the temple because the temple had become corrupted. What was the temple doing differently under Herod and the Pharisees than they were doing back with Moses when he was washing up people at the foot of Mount Sinai? Both of them had this baptism, this washing up, that was to change you and change the way you think and all this stuff. What were they really uh, doing 
that was different. Well, they were setting up a system of social welfare to bind the people together with love. With loving one another. And Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself. And he used a particular word, love thy neighbor. And, And Jesus says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And the apostles are saying the same thing. And they're telling you what's not love, which, of course, is covetous practices. You know, desiring stuff that belongs to your neighbor for your benefit. That would be a covetous practice. Anytime you want something that belongs to your neighbor so that you can have it. Or, you know, maybe somebody will take it from them and sell that and then you'll get something. You get something out of taking away from your neighbor. neighbor. That is covetous practices. And Peter says that would make you merchandise and it would curse your children. And, and the reason it curses your children is because you're not keeping the Sabbath. Now a lot of people says, oh, he's a Sabbath keeper. Not, 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 what, what do you think keeping the Sabbath is all about? I mean, they talk about you work six days and then you do this day of rest thing at the end of six days. What they're talking about is you work first and earn your rest. That That's the way the Hebrews, if you look at the language, you look at the way they use this, you look at what they were actually doing, that's keeping the Sabbath. Working first and and, and then taking your day of rest because you earned it, because you worked first. Keeping the Sabbath is about staying out of debt. It's not about counting days. They tell you this in the New Testament. It's not keeping of days and counting days and and, and these fake feasts, you know, that's not what it's about. We go back to, you know, Stephen's speech in, in Acts, which also our fathers, they came after, brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers and the days of David. Before. He's talking who found favor before God, David found favor before God, and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But David didn't really build a building. Solomon built a building, and we see that in verse 47. And in verse 48 he says, How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples, not in buildings, made with hands, as saith the prophets, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. And then you have to understand what a footstool is and why why that's referenced there. But basically we're saying that God's got it, got it all anyway. The heavens is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And so what does he need with your building? What house will ye build me? Saith the Lord. Or what is the place... Of my rest. Had not my hand made all these things? You know, when he says place of my rest, I mean, I flash on the idea that so many churches borrow money, <laughs> put their congregation in debt, so they can have a building. And like the Catholics, they, they will borrow money from the diocese to build their building today, then they have to pay the money back to the diocese. And when they're done paying it back, who owns the building? 
the diocese still owns it. I thought that was that was a clever deal. But anyway, by the time we get up to verse 51, he says, Ye stiff-neck, uncircumcised in the heart. He's not talking about circumcision of your flesh. He's talking about the circumcision of your heart. And he actually says, and ears. So, you're stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised in the heart and the ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did. So do you. If you go back there, he's talking, Moses got told what to do and the people did what Moses said. Why? Because they couldn't listen to the Holy Spirit. They couldn't, it was too scary for them. It still seems pretty scary to a lot of people. They have a substitute Holy Spirit called emotionalism. And a lot of people like to listen to emotionalism, but they're just making it up. They're making up the Holy Spirit. You know, and they like to do things that generate this emotion. And they think that's the Holy Spirit. And they believe it. But it isn't. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? He's talking to the people who resist the Holy Spirit. And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers of the just one. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. You know, and the word angels there could be messengers. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on, on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That's what he was seeing. They they didn't scare him. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Of course, that's what they had already done. They couldn't hear Jesus because they were uncircumcised of the ears. And ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, Stephen was one of seven that was pegged by Peter and the apostles to wait on tables. And of course, as we've already discussed, those tables were banks. Or what would be equivalent to a bank? I mean, the word uh, trapezia in the Greek is the same word for bank. And it's even translated bank in other verses of the New Testament. And what the deal was is that they were, the daily ministration was being neglected and they said, well, we need to, you know, what are we going to do? The Greeks are not getting aid that's coming from our local congregation. It's not local Greeks. It's Greeks in Greece are not getting aid. 
Because we're sending aid to them, but they're not getting it because we're having difficulty getting it to them. So, he says, okay, it's not right that we leave the word, that we're, we're our job, to wait on tables. In other words, to run a bank. Uh, so that we can transfer funds and, and uh, make purchases to send aid to the Greeks, you know, like Corinth, they would be Greeks. Well, although most of the people in Corinth at that time were probably not Greeks, so there a lot of them were. They weren't originally Corinthians. Corinth, Corinth had been leveled to the ground and everybody dispersed, either killed or sold into slavery. And the Romans had done that years before because they, they were dealing treacherously with the Romans, another whole story. But so it was it was started by Caesars to get more people back there to the city. This is long after it had been desolated and there was nobody living there. So they had people coming from all over and some of them were Greeks from other city states and some of them were probably Jews and some of them were uh probably from other places. Hard to say how many different people were uh there to re inhabit Corinth because it was a good place to be for a trade route. Another long story. But uh, Galatia, uh, Athens, uh, all these other places that uh, they were Greeks. And they needed help occasionally. There was famines moving across, what they called thirst, moving across the Roman Empire because Rome was beginning, going into its decline and fall. It had spent more than 100, 150 years moving more and more towards the socialist state, you know, the free bread and circuses. And, of course, as as Polybius had prophesied and as, as Zephaniah and all these other prophesied, which we are, you know, and go read Habakkuk and Amos and Hosea. They're all talking about the same thing, strange wives and whoredom. All has to do with your welfare system. Moses created a welfare system using the Levites, where you would tithe to the Levites and the Levites would serve the tabernacles of the congregation. You could say tabernacle of the congregations because each each family had a tabernacle, a tent. That's what the word means. There's the big tabernacle. All the Levites aren't working at the big tabernacle. They're actually working in all the different uh, places where Israelites are. And they're tending to, they're taking care of the tabernacle of the people. They're the tents of the people. They talk about how to organize the people. And they organize them in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But this was to practice pure religion. What they, you never see the word pure religion in the Old Testament, but you see it in the New Testament. You never see the word charity in the Old Testament, but you see free will offerings in the Old Testament. The Levites received free will offerings. You tithe to them according to their service. And the tithe part means a share of your labor, share of your flock. It could be 10%, it could be 15%, it could be 20%. You're one in ten. You're one in ten in a congregation of ten. Synagogues were ten families. This is how they were organized. This is how the early church was organized. So your share, your tenth share, because you're one-tenth of the congregation, your family is one-tenth of the congregation, 
you give your share. That's your tithing. That's the one-tenth from your family. Might be 12%, 15%. It's whatever you want. Because you tithe to them according to their service. You think they're doing a really good job, you give them more. Now, is all this money so that he can buy a million-dollar mansion or something, you know, and, and, and take uh, vacations on the Riviera? No. This was tied to him to take care of the needy of society. And sometimes the needy of society were in great need and you would need to share more. According to the services that he was trying to provide, you would help him out more. And they would, he was your connection. That's what your minister was. He was your connection to all the other congregations, all the other families, all over Judea. All over Israel, wherever Israelites were, you, you, this minister was connecting you because they were organized in these ranks of tens, hundreds, and thousands. This is what they were doing. The Sabbath wasn't about counting days like the Pharisees are telling. We know the Pharisees had had it wrong. Somehow, the people are still trying to go back and do what the Pharisees were doing. The Essenes read the same Torah and they had a completely different interpretation than what the Pharisees did. They actually referred to what the Pharisees were doing as a fiction and a fraud. Both reading the same Torah. And I see modern Christians today reading the Torah. Some, you know, sometimes they call themselves Messianic Jews or whatever. You know, it's Christians going back to some of those Things that they they read about in the Old Testament. You know, keeping the feast forever and all that stuff. But they're keeping it like the Pharisees. Not like the Essenes. Not like the early Israel. They're, They're keeping it where they misinterpreted. I mean, even when they were going to rebuild the temple. And there's a, you know, so anyway, the... But people have always resisted the Holy Spirit, so they read these Old Testaments and they don't know what it's uh, talking about. And they misinterpret it. But they worship their interpretation. They don't actually worship God. They don't worship Jesus. They worship their interpretation. And that is not what you want to be doing. And so I was going to see here if I could find it. I, uh, I'm not going to find it. Oh, maybe, maybe I did. Uh, well, I'm going to take too much. Oh, okay. Here it is. I think it, it's in Ezra. Uh, let's see if I found it or not. <laughs> uh, and they sang together, of course, in, in praises and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever towards Israel and all the people shouted with great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that's me I'm an ancient man (laughs) I'm getting old uh, who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. 
Now, some people will tell you that when you look at the Hebrew, that that means they they shouted with a loud voice and they were shouting for joy. No, they wept. They didn't wait for joy. They wept because they had seen the first house. They knew how the first house was set up. The first house, you were the temple of the Holy Spirit. You didn't need a building. Now, you might need a building for utility purposes. But God has to dwell in your heart and your mind. And and that dwelling in the heart and the mind didn't depend upon some sort of rote, automatic, or mandatory sacrifice. It had to do with the moving of love in your heart. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I was talking about this morning, is that people are looking for congregations that make them feel good. They're looking for ministers who comfort them, who make them feel good, who they'd like. No, you don't want ministers that make you feel good, tickle your ears, or that you like. You want a minister who does the job. What's the job of a minister of ten? To connect them with everybody else. Because, see, you can't just love your congregation. You know, they say, well, the minister, he's supposed to teach us what the Word says. You're supposed to know what the Word says. You're supposed to teach one another. You're supposed to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that's showing you that God doesn't care if you count to six days and take the seventh day off. He cares that you don't go into debt. That you work first. That you don't curse your children with debt. But through your covetous practices, you have cursed your children. And you have made the word of God to none effect. What, what's your covetous practices? You asked the government under FDR, or FDR offered to do this, and everybody said, okay, we'll do that. That you sign up, you have to pay in, not very much at first, it's like 1.5%, now it's up to 14%. You pay in, and they will take care of your parents for you. So you have to do no more ought for your parents. That's the Corbin of the Pharisees. Jesus said it made the word of God to none effect. Why? Because it was a compelled offering. Force you had to pay in. One-tenth. They paced off your grain fields. They counted your fish when you came in with your net. You had to pay in one-tenth. They went and even went to the Cummins plants that were in your window sill of your house. That's where people put it and they'd water it and keep it growing right there. And they would count the branches because they knew they were going to get one in ten. And that's used for a seasoning. They knew. So that's he was mocking them how petty they were. Because this is the two systems of the world. I mean, you can have total chaos and everybody just run around doing whatever they want. Or you can have a system that operates by faith, open charity. You sit down and it sends hundreds and thousands and you share according to the services of the minister that is providing not just services to your ten. You have to care about the other 90 or the other 900 or the other 9,000 as much as you care about your own. And this is why they had to pick Stephan is because they were caring about the Greeks even though they were in Jerusalem. And, that's, and the, the Greeks are being neglected. Well, how are we going to take care of them? Well, we need some way 
of moving funds around. Well, they had that. Ephesus was a bank. Most of the temples were all over and they had branches everywhere, just like you have branches of banks everywhere. And so they could put a deposit in this branch of Ephesus over here and all they needed to do is prove that it was on deposit and the Ephesus over here, the temple over here, would take funds out and buy whatever is needed over here. And maybe they'd ship it too and, and all that stuff. That's what we see Paul doing. Paul and Barnabas. They're receiving funds. They're loading up cargo. And they're taking it to the Christians who needed it in another city state way off. Because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, it was a kingdom, and it was righteous to take care of the needy, not just of those that love you. I mean, that's what you do. Jesus talks about that. You can't just love those in your little congregation. That's not going to cut it. You have to love people in congregations way over in Greece. We have somebody who's just uh, starting to interested in joining in India. Uh, that, and we don't have a congregation in India. So the congregation in Australia and South Africa, they're the closest to India. Kind of, you know, India's in between. And so we have somebody in India who's talking about forming a congregation. So they bring them into their congregation. And then they start teaching them and helping them. And we have all the stuff up that they can. I mean, if if they want. We've had people starting to translate some of the pages into Spanish. Well, we can, of course, there's a lot of dialects in India. Maybe they can translate them in, uh, some of the pages into Hindi or one of the other dialects that they're familiar with. They seem to know English. And start that, we'll put those pages up. But basically, what we're telling you, I mean... If you're going to go back to the Pharisees and say, what did the Old Testament say? And, of course, that's what they did in the Masoretic text. You know, the Pope did that in around 700 uh, A.D. They went to the Pharisees and said, so what does the Old Testament say? <laughs> and you get it. Now, you don't need to retranslate it to figure it out. You just need to know the symbolism. Because all the prophets were writing in very symbolic terms. And, but... You're looking for precept upon precept. You know, not, we're not looking for a catechism. We're looking for God to write upon your heart and upon your mind. So, the temple, you're the living stones of the temple. And I talked about this this morning. You don't want your minister to be your comforter. You don't want to be the other congregants to be your comforter. You want the Holy Spirit to be your comforter. So how do you draw the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your mind? Because you're uncircumcised in your heart and your, and your ears. How do you get the Holy Spirit so that you're circumcising your ears and your heart so that you can hear the messages of the kingdom, which is the message of love and righteousness, of faith, hope, and charity, faith, hope, and love. You have the hope that other people will be there for you. You have the faith to know that that is the way you should do it, not the way the world does it. Jesus was specific about that. 
You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. Write it down. Or wait a minute. It is written down. <laughs> it's in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Yet, 99% of the churches out there, or at least the vast majority of them, say it's okay to go to the men who call themselves benefactors. They're not really benefactors. They're only going to give you what they forcefully took away from everybody else. Legally, forcefully took it away from everybody else. But that's legal charity, and that will destroy you. Because it will make you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. You're not going to be doing what John the Baptist said, which if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. How do you know your neighbor has none unless you have ministers going out and checking? And we're not just talking about every Tom, Dick, and Harry who doesn't have a coat because he's been shooting up heroin or taking mushrooms. We're talking about Brothers who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness also. And they may fall on hard times through no apparent fault of their own. Maybe they, maybe somebody came through with a red SUV and hit them with the red SUV and knocked them off their feet and broke both legs and they can't go to work. Well, they could go to the government. That would be the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Or they could go to church. Well, most churches would say, well, you, you need to go to the government. Well, we'll help you out. We'll have somebody come and visit and pray with you. But if you actually need something, we're going to send you to the men who exercise authority. All the prophets tell you that that will return you to the captivity of Egypt, to the bondage of Egypt. And it has. Because you've been doing that even when you weren't run over by an SUV. You've been doing that when there was a little bit of a depression under FDR and under LBJ and the other series of letters that you can think of. <laughs> you've been going. And so now you've got the FDA and the CDC telling you you have to get a shot, you have to wear a mask, you can't have a job unless you do this and that. And you're thinking like, God, where are you? Help us out here. He told you. Back in Samuel 8. That I'm not going to hear you in that day. Why? Because you did not hear the cries of one another. You were not gathering together in a daily ministration of a sacrifice of love for one another. You did not come in the name of Yeshua. Yeshua did not come to be comforted. Yeshua did not come to be saved. Yeshua did not come to have his ears tickled by some put-in-hand pastor. Yeshua came to give his life for others. That is why you're supposed to be congregating in congregations of ten. You know, Christ commanded that his disciples, which are his student ministers, that's what disciples mean, student ministers. These were the called out. This was the church. He called these guys out. To be his student disciples. And we know there was at least 12. But we also know there's reference to 70 that he had. Which is literally Jesus' Sanhedrin. And they filled the role of what the Sanhedrin should have been doing. Not what the Pharisees were doing under the Sanhedrin. But its original purpose when it was started by Moses. 
And and most Christians today don't even know what that is. They don't need a Sanhedrin. They got Congress in the Senate. They don't practice pure religion. Pure religion is taking care of the needy of your society, widows and orphans, etc., unspotted by the world. Not using the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect, but the Corbin of Christ, which means that sons and daughters take care of their parents. And if the sons and daughters are not there to take care of the parents, maybe they died, maybe they, whatever. I mean, if you never have children, if you're you're a married couple and you try to have children, you never have children, but you got a brother or a sister and they're having children, you should be a part of their life. You should be helping them raise their children. It's a lot of work raising kids. I raised six kids. Home taught them all. So, if you don't have any kids, you should be helping raise those kids. And, and be a blessing to your brothers that are having children. Or maybe you can adopt. Or maybe you just, you know, you don't have any siblings that have kids. Maybe just find people in your congregation that are trying to raise kids. I can guarantee you, you get ten families together. Some of them are going to need help from time to time. If they're homeschooling, which they all should be doing, maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're not as good at math and they, and you're an engineer, so maybe you can help them with that. Maybe you can help, you know, if one of them shows interest in whatever your profession is, you can be a mentor to them. You be a part. And what happens is that those kids start calling you Uncle Bob. <laughs> Even though you're not really their uncle. Because you're being a part of it. It's all about coming in service. This is what creates the bonds of the kingdom of God. The bonds of the congregation of the Lord. And it extends out into the congregation of the church. And the church is the living stones. Men who come together being called out by God to be a servant government for the people, of the people, and by the people. If you had been doing that, if all the people saying they were being Christians, or that they are Christians, or that they believe in Jesus, had been doing that for the last 100 years instead of signing up to the benefactors who exercise authority, you wouldn't have to worry about mask mandates and you wouldn't have to worry about injection mandates. And you wouldn't have to worry about economies collapsing. And the dearths that were coming. coming Because there were dearths. The economy was collapsing. and spread across the Roman Empire. But Christians not only did well. They thrived during this period. Even with persecution. They were thriving. But they were doing what Jesus said to do. You're telling me you love Jesus, but you're not doing what Jesus said to do. As a matter of fact, most of the Christians out there are doing the opposite of what Jesus said to do. Now, we're just in a real short program here. And we only have about 15 minutes left. And so you're going to say, well, I've never heard this. Some of you will say that. Many of you have been listening for a long time. And we have all the recordings. You go to preparingyou.com, preparingyou.com, and we have the audios there. We have the articles there. And there is an article that we have called The Strong Delusion. So if you go to preparingyou.com, you'll see the logo up there in the left-hand side, preparingyou.com. 
And we have a little symbol for the U with a little roof over the top and a circle. That's an ancient symbol that was found on a tomb in uh, Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem proper. And uh, so I, I incorporated that symbol into the U. We had to create some sort of a logo that was distinctive, and so that's what we did. So you know you're on that page when you see that logo. And uh, then there's a search engine on your right. And you just type in strong delusion. And it will take you to an article on strong delusion. We have, let's see, I wonder how many footnotes we have on this page. Uh, 24, 25, 33. 33 footnotes on that page. It will take you and it tells you uh, Greek words like plesion, uh, which is a neuter derivative of uh, pelas, which means neighbor. And so we're showing you what these words actually meant. We quote Second Peter 2.20, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world, what word there do they have for world? Let's see, I have that. Yeah, I have that. It's a link. If you click on the word world there, it will explain what word you have there. And the word that Peter uses means constitutional order or system of government. There, there's four or five different words in the Greek that could be translated world. They're not always translated world. They're Sometimes they're translated age, aeon. But he's saying the pollution of the world. What is the pollution of the world? The world has these benefactors. That's the constitutional orders and systems of government. You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. Jesus says this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke who exercise authority one over the other, calling themselves benefactors. You're not to be that way. But you are supposed to be servants to all. And the highest servant amongst you is the one who serves everybody else. It's not the one who rules over. The church isn't supposed to rule over you. It's not a cult. You can leave anytime you want. But he's telling you, Second Peter 2.20, this same Second Peter that wor- warned you about being entangled again, about, you know, your covetous practices turning you into merchandise, literally human resources, which is what's already happened. You, you don't, if you have to pay in more than 20% of your labor, you're back in the bondage of Egypt and it's worse for you than it was back then because you only had to pay 20% of your labor to the government in Egypt. You didn't have to pay any of your labor in 1900 to the government. That Mostly what they depended upon was uh, excise tax and tariff taxes. Now, excise tax, you know, like we have a horse trader and we just got a bill from the government that we're going to have to pay them $127 for tags on that horse trader. Well, wait a minute. Why do I have to give them tags on my horse trailer? Well, I, we explain that. I know why you have to do that. Because you don't own it. You have a legal title, but a legal title definition. Here it is. Right out of the legal dictionary. Legal title is an apparent title. It means it appears to be a title. That carries with it no beneficial interest. And so you look up beneficial interest. Or beneficial use. Same thing. It means the one whom the law considers to be the true owner of the property. That's the state owns it. I just have a legal title. That's the same for your house. 
your property tax. That's a use tax. You don't own it. You think you own it? Stop paying the use tax for a couple of years and see what happens. <laughs> you don't own it. <coughs> now, Americans came here to own land, and about 30% of the Americans who came to America, at least at one point, about 30%, actually owned their land, and there was no property tax on it. Most of the property tax that came along came along after the Civil War, and later on it came along, uh, it depends on what areas of the country you're in, but I know property that still had no property tax on it until the individual who lived on that land went and got a Social Security number. Which he didn't get a Social Security number till the 1960s. And he owned that land. There was no taxes on that land. It was in California. And then all of a sudden he got a Social Security number and he got his first tax bill. <laughs> How is that possible? It's because you don't know what's going on. You don't know what Social Security is. Well, and we have books, old books, free. You, uh, everything we have out there is for free. And we're explaining how this all works. And what Galatia 5.1 was trying to tell you, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And at Second Peter 2.20, For if after you have escaped the pollution of the world, the constitutional order and system of Rome, or any government, or maybe it's the Greeks, or Ephesus, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. That's where you're at today. Now, I'm not have any way of getting you out of that. Uh, you, you might have been able to turn things around and get out of it 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But now, you're in debt. Trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. You've cursed your children with debt. Because, you know, somebody was saying, they're spending our money. No, they're not. They're not spending your money. They're spending your children's money. <laughs> they're so far in debt, you're never going to pay it off. They're, they're up to spending your children and your children's children's money. The only salvation you have is the destruction of the system. And of course that's prophesied in Revelation. And and that's coming. And, and it's there's been these destruction. This has all happened from time to time. On one level or another. History repeats itself. It just looks like we're looking for a really big. Really worldwide destruction. I mean they just shut down. Uh, commerce. All around the world. They had people wearing masks. Billions of people wearing masks. And now they, they, I don't know, they must have a billion or more people vaccinated already. You know, the eligible ones. But that, Fauci's saying he wants to vaccinate even infants now. Kids weren't dying of COVID before. They're dying now. But that's because their parents are vaccinated. But that's another whole story. We won't get into that. Titus 1.15 Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. 
See, you have accepted the lie that it's okay to cover your neighbor's goods, to bite your neighbor, as long as you use the teeth of government. It is not okay. It is a covetous practice to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor through forced contributions. It's the antithesis of the gospel of the kingdom. It is not righteous, and all those benefits you get are what the Bible call calls the wages of unrighteousness. They actually translate the same word, rewards of unrighteousness. You look up wages of unrighteousness at preparing you, and we'll go through that step by step. You have to understand the language, you have to understand the history, but you will not be able to understand it if your conscience is seared. You need to have your heart and your ears and maybe your eyes circumcised. Cut away what you think you know and take pleasure in what you think you know. See, when I talk to home churches, when I talk to people that go to, you know, different religions, they believe in their religion. They don't know what the word religion means, but they believe in their religion, their ideas. They worship their ideas, which is like idolatry. Religion was how you took care of the needy of society. It's from the word threskia. I mean, it's translated from the word threski. It's religiere. It's a Latin word, which means things bound. And when you gave a free will offering to a Levite, you gave it up entirely. It was counted as a burnt offering. He didn't set fire to everything you gave him. They had lands in common. You give him a sheep, he runs those sheep with his herd on the lands in common that the Levites had. And if somebody was hungry, he could pull from that flock. And... He didn't have to sell. He could sell some of those lambs and, you know, maybe buy oils or other medicinal things or maybe grain or olive oil because the poor might need some of those things. And the Levites could do that. They could sell whatever you gave them and turn it into other things, you know, trade or sell. But they were serving the tabernacles of the people. And this is what bound the whole nation together through the free will offerings to a network of charity and the congregations of the people. Now, they also had things that you go look up cities of refuge. We explain they use the tens, hundreds, and thousands that way as well. And why? Because they were to attend to the weightier matters. Jesus says, you would have been better off than counting the Cummins plants and all this stuff to tend to the weightier matters. And what are the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Because, see, the kingdom of God is a government. It's a government of love. It's a government of charity. It's a government of hope. It's a government of faith. Now, the governments of the world are all those things, except for there are governments not of faith, but allegiance or fealty. Where you owe obedience are their governments of force. They don't use charity to collect from the, the those that have, to give to those that don't have enough. They use force. They, they're not governments of hope. They're governments of entitlement. And they put the fear of their Lord... In you, if you don't pay into them. 
You have, you are the workers of iniquity. You are the ones who have become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And you're, this, all this happened when the churches of the world were leading you astray. Because they were not, they were, you know, like I say, before there was fake news, there was fake good news. The good news is there. You go to all these pages. You read about the modern church, the strong delusion, home church, what's a householder, uh, all these things. Listen to the audios. Uh, go to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, look for a podcast, Keys of the Kingdom. We talk about these things and we go through them step by step. There's just no way to cover it. Oh, mammon. Mammon is entrusted wealth. It is what you put in the treasury. Even the word Corbin is translated treasury in the New Testament. Because your sacrifices were put in a treasury. But the kingdom of God, the the church established by Christ, is a living temple, a living network, where the people take care of one another. And... They don't depend upon the deeds of the Nicolaitan, Nicolaitan, or Balaam, which are the you know the era of Balaam and the era of the Nicolaitan are the same. They're conquered people. Both words mean conquered people. One in Hebrew, one in Greek. And it doesn't have anything with, to do with anybody named Nicholas. That is just somebody who's pushed that, so you don't actually figure out what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are. They're the ones who are conquered because they apply for the benefits of the mammon of unrighteousness. The reason the entrusted wealth is unrighteous is because the wealth was obtained through forced contributions. John the Baptist, Jesus said you were to do it through charity. Moses said you were to do it through free will offerings. Uh, Alexis Tocqueville said that you were not to depend upon legal charity. It would destroy your society. Polybius said that if you become accustomed to live at the expense of others and depend upon the property of others for your livelihood, you would degenerate as a people. And and some old guy will make you all wear masks <laughs> and get vaccinations because you've degenerated. You're not strong enough. You haven't come together. You need to come together to do this and to do it right. So anyway, uh, join us on the network. Go to Preparing You. Join the network. Start organizing yourselves into the tens, hundreds, and thousands because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Until then, peace on your house. And, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.